Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. It is episode 154. We are back from our one-week break. More importantly, we spent that break not relaxing, going to Penny Arcade Expo, PAX East 2018. Uh, We are here uh, doing this episode to report on our findings, uh, to to express our research, uh, and to talk about the show – I know that our last episode was kind of the the schedule slash like what you can expect if you've never been. So you should know what the show is, but uh, it's good to reflect because it's now four days of nonstop gaming, nonstop immersion into the culture, and it's uh, it's it's a lot to take in, and it can be it can be a, a pretty. Um, exhausting in a very good way experience. And I, I, I know there's a word for that and I can't think of it right now. Um, I think, I think the way you put it is probably the best exhausting, but in a good way. Yeah. I feel like there's a word for that though. Uh, we'll come back to it. I'm not, I, certainly not in my vocabulary that comes to uh, immediate mind. Uh, I'll look it up. But at, at, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's spiritually fulfilling and we uh, we always like to do a debrief episode, uh, delineating all of the the, the greatest uh, the highlights essentially of the last four days. Yeah, reflecting on the experience. Yeah. So why don't we start before we even get into the specifics? Because uh, there's a lot of specifics. Given as you just said, this is a four day show, so there's a lot of specifics to go over. Yeah. But uh, why don't we talk about the 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 high level? Yes. So, the high level, what did you think of this year? So I think that the four-day slate was definitely a game changer. And I think that we have, we can't talk about the show without talking about the expanded uh, schedule. Um, Agreed. I think that it really changed the whole feel of the show. I think what, what it was like before the four-day slate was – all of the things that I had mentioned before, but compressed to the point of being uh, like quasi stressful, right? Um, where you would, you know, scheduling was was very very necessary. You uh, could feel very easily overwhelmed. You would you would you know not be able to prioritize because you if there was one thing that you really wanted to do, you knew you couldn't do it because you had less time. And the game was really changed this year with the four day slate. I I think that we all kind of had like a little powwow Friday night and said to ourselves, you know, normally after the second day, we're kind of like already at the twilight of the show and we're, and we're sort of like, well, you know, I I didn't get to do this, but I got to do this, but it all went by so quickly. I'm not really sure what I did, (laughs) honestly. Right, right, right. It's a blur. But but after the second day, you know, we were like, wow, you know, you know, Thursday was slow as expected, slower as expected. There was still a ton of people, like, don't get us wrong. But Thursday was on the slower side as expected. Friday was about average. And in those two days, we got to do a lot kind of at our own pace. So we went into Saturday, the busiest day, kind of saying like, okay, well, what are the things that we normally like to do kind of like Sunday afternoon that we can do now to avoid the crowds and also still right. do still knock everything off the the um, the checklist and 
that I think is probably the best thing I can say about it is that the feel this year was so much more relaxed. I really felt like it was more of a vacation than like a con or a convention because I, I didn't feel, uh, burdened by time as much. Yeah. I mean, that is totally true that, um, everything, everything you said, I agree with that. It's, a. Uh, the four-day format really, really opened it up for those of us that are – we should really add that caveat. For those of us that are weekenders, mm-hmm. because I did meet a, a – among the many people you meet at cons like this, I did meet somebody and I was talking to them about it. And he was making the point, as we all know, that you know, for the most part, most people are only going to this – well, let me start with this. First – and we were talking about this at dinner the other day. The vast majority of the people that come to this are from the however you, you want to expand it, but from from the immediate area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the percentage of people coming from like out of state is significant, but not compared to the people who are coming from like driving distance away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so you take that, and then you add to the fact that even of those people. Most of those people are only coming for one, two days max, right? Which is why Saturday and Sunday are always um, mob scenes. Mm -hmm. So really, there's not that many people that are the full weekend crowd, even though, as you said, Thursday still plenty of people in absolute terms, but nowhere near like the Saturday, Sunday, you know, mob scene that we saw, right? Yeah, and I even even saw Friday get busier as the day went on, which is sort of the opposite case of all the other days. So, you know, the the people who do get a Friday pass, like, might be living in the immediate area and kind of, like, skipping out on work a little early. Right, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll cut out from work a little early or, you know, when I get out of school or whatever, get out of class, I'll, I'll just roll up at PAX. No problem. Right. So... The weekender crowd is who we're really talking to about, and that's us. Uh, and for the weekend crowd, yeah, this 100% was a game changer. Have, Thursday really was like, if you think about it, the weekender day. Because who the hell else is going there on a damn Thursday except the people that explicitly said, this is like our, as you use the word, vacation. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go and we're going to do the damn thing, you know? Yeah. So for that crowd, the Thursday edition is really really great uh if it sounds so simple but just one extra day means there was so much more time there's much more time for interesting programming and there's much more time for us to experience a lot of the stuff that we might not necessarily um have had a chance to experience which is what we'll get into as we go through the specifics yeah for sure why would we do that yeah uh so i actually just pulled out the schedule we made Mm -hmm. and I don't know if we've talked about this in the past, but we should probably say that for all of the high-flying scheduling we do, a large percentage of the strip gets cut out as we're on, you know, the thick of the event. Mm-hmm. So even looking at right now, for me, um, well, then again, Thursday, I didn't have that much schedule to begin with, and I only actually went to two things on Thursday as far as pan- panels, which were... The <laughs> the beginner's guide to unlocking the plot of Kingdom Hearts. Yes, and uh, <laughs> later I attended um, 
double Nintendare. So the Kingdom Hearts panel was exactly as expected. I forgot the guy's name, but shout out to the panelist that was running that because he did an awesome job. Yeah, right. Uh, like, like talk about like doing the Lord's work. Like, it was it was a one man <laughs> panel, and the and the room was packed because I went with you, right? Packed. The, yes. The room was packed, and it was one dude who did all the research that we had all been complaining we didn't want to do for the last fifteen years, and he was up there with his, you know, just doing his doing his best, trying to be like, this is what Kingdom Hearts is about. Which yep. you don't need an entire hour to explain for any other like media franchise. Period. And he barely got finished. Barely. By the way. Yeah, barely. And now I got lost about a quarter of the way through it, which is when I started getting salty that this is really as ridiculous a franchise as I'd expected. Yeah. Yes, I'll admit it. I went. To, I hate went to this panel. Yeah, you did. You know, you 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 did, and I think it's fine. I think there were probably like. I would say 20% of the people there acti- yeah, actively dislike Kingdom Hearts. And <laughs> it's true because you definitely – I definitely heard grumbling through the room as it went on because every, people were yeah, like – Yeah, every slide. As, because is this as ridiculous as, it, as he's making it sound? And you know it is. Yep. Yeah. He wasn't fudging anything. He was straight up reading from like canon. Yes. And people um, were still like, this can't be the way that the game is. It, but no, it is. It, it's true. Look, look, don't look away. Look <laughs> at it. Look at it. Look okay. in its face. Look at it. So that was Kingdom Hearts. Um, and Double Nintendo, exactly as the name suggests, Double Dare, but with Nintendo. Uh, this guy's name, I remember, Kurt Dog. Shout out to him. Because he and and the folks working with him uh, put together a really, really cool take on Double Dare. Instead of physical challenges, there were digital challenges where they had a Super NES set up and they had save states. So they were doing, you know, just like quick little custom versions of the games. Super fun. Uh, And they, they even had commercial breaks. And the commercial breaks were filled with a bunch of '90s commercials, nice for things like ridiculous old school, um, all those ridiculous old school uh, board games with you know gimmicky electronics in them, like Mr. Bucket. Did you remember about Mr. Bucket? I, I don't. Th- was that the one where you had to like flick things into the bucket? Yeah, and it's moving. Okay, I do remember Mr. Bucket. Yeah, there was, and there was, they also had the ad for Mousetrap. Yeah, of course, everybody remembers Mousetrap. Everybody remembers Mousetrap. But yeah, so shout out to them. But that was all I did as far as panels the first day. Uh, we were also on the show floor. I guess we should come back to the show floor a little bit later. Um, but what did you go to on day one? So I did the Kingdom Hearts one with you, and then I went to one in the morning called Like This, Play That. Um, I had put that one down pretty much immediately because I always like hearing about games I've never heard of. Uh, gaming is one of those things where, uh, due to its past as a niche entertainment genre, right. and due to the fact that I was only born in, in 1989, uh, there's a lot of gaming that I haven't seen, done, or heard of. And right. 
it's amazing because I've spent, I've spent my entire known life doing this thing and there's still so much I don't know. And I think that's what makes, you know, people who are like really into video games or really into film, like keep coming back because there's no way that you could ever know everything about it. And so I always want to hear about games I've never heard of, like weird stuff. And the way that the panel was set up was like, you know, you could always throw out a game and be like, have you heard of this game? And then throw a screenshot and be like, that looks weird. I've never heard of that. But the whole premise of this panel was you might like this game if you've heard of this game, a game that is much more well-known than this game. So I was like this, this, this kind of like, uh, like genre basis of the whole discussion made it a little bit more appealing to me than just, Hey, let's remember some games. And I did, uh, I, I did, he, I, I was shown a lot of games I had never heard of, uh, Resonance of Fate. Um, Ooh, a game that both, uh, Dinkus and I have played. Yes. Yeah. I had never even heard of it. Um, they said it were like for fans of like these types of games and that type of games, uh, rule of Rose. Have you ever heard of rule of Rose? Have not heard of that one. So rule, they got of, me there. rule of Rose was like some horror game that came out for PS2. And mm-hmm. the, the way that he described it was basically like, if you're into like the silent Hill resident evil kind of thing, but you want it to be a little bit more like, um, uh, I, I guess, I guess like if you're into the horror genre, but you're not just in it to get scared and you're not just interested in the more mainstream titles. Like if you want like weird horror that nobody's heard of, this is your game. Um, <laughs> and he, they, you know, they explained what it was and I was like, this sounds like it would probably be better as a horror movie, but I'm still interested in it. Um, and then they talked about our boy freedom wars, which Oh yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, so they Freedom Wars. We may have talked about Freedom Wars on this podcast, but it's a co-op game for the Vita that is similar to Monster Hunter in that you team up to take down large things. Uh, in the case of Freedom Wars, it's it's robots, like basically giant robots. But um, it uh, the the battles are very long and require you know teamwork and competence kind of across the board. Um, but it's doesn't have the weird like loot system that, uh, monster hunter has that, that is, that is, uh, you know, tantamount to progression. So it's accessible in that once you get the controls down, which are much more fast paced than monster hunter, then you pretty much have the game down. Right. So, uh, when they were like, you might like, you like Monster Hunter, but you don't like this or that. Maybe you should play Freedom Wars. And then he goes, has anybody ever played Freedom Wars? And I was, me and one other person were the only people in the whole room that raised their hands. And I raised my hand so hard. I raised my hand (laughs) as hard. I thought my arm was going to come out of the socket. I was like, me? Me? (laughs) It's like when you know the answer in in like the second grade and you know you're you're the only person who knows the answer. And you're like, you're burning to tell everybody. Call on me. That's what it was. But, uh, yeah, so that was an interesting panel. And then I went to the Kingdom Hearts one with you. And then the first day, like, I think I spent a lot of the time on the show floor because it was um, uh, doing the main stuff. Like, I went to the Xbox booth. I went to the PS4 booth. They had Soul Calibur Six out there. 
I checked all that stuff out. Like a lot of the bigger stuff that I knew I wasn't going to get a chance to get my hands on during the busier days. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I did pretty much the same thing. Um, like I said, I think we should come back to the actual content of the show floor at the end because that's another rabbit hole in itself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just to, to piggyback onto your um, your comment on like Freedom Wars, isn't it funny how because our entire friend group played that game? Yeah. So to us, it's like, oh yeah, of course that game. I thought everybody knew about this game. So isn't it funny how just even your circle take something for granted and then to the outside world, people are like, what? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I just think it's such an interesting idea. Oh, totally. Um, okay. So Friday, Friday, I think the first thing any of us went to was the first, um, actually well, I was glad by the way that, th- that there's a few things that our entire group went to, which I think is the first time in all the ones I've went to that we had like more than one panel that the entire group traveling attended together yeah if i do you know what it felt like like in my head i forgot to mention this uh every time that like our entire group went to a panel it felt to me like the avengers like when like when the avengers movie comes up like oh this is the end of the phase <laughs> like this is a crossover now yeah um but anyway so the first thing we all went to was actually the celebrating 40 years of SMK history, mm-hmm. which was a pretty good panel. Um, they, it's been pretty widely reported now because they did drop a couple of announcements. The SNK 40th anniversary collection is coming out. They announced during that panel. Um, they announced the metal slug double cross, which is coming out on PS4 soon. And they announced, <laughs> <laughs> And they announced for the the already batshit-looking SNK Heroines game, uh, they announced that Shermie is going to be a character. Yeah. And and for those of you that are just hearing about this for the first time, right, I would encourage you, like, pause the podcast. We'll wait. Go look up. (laughs) Go look up, like, the PAX panel for this event, celebrating 40 years of SNK history. Because and if you can skip to the part where they announced Shermie, you will probably hear what we heard, which was some guy essentially orgasming himself live. <laughs> please, live. please. I have. I. I mean, it was like they put Shermie in this game for this for guy, him for him, and they invited him to the panel so that they could reveal it to him. I was. I was here like. I don't even really know who Shermie is, but I now love Shermie more than any other video game character <laughs> just because of this person's reaction. The, half the panel was uh, only Japanese speaking, and the dude made it a point to to scream arigato at them because he, <laughs> he was so happy that his favorite SNK character got put into this weird fighting game that's only SNK women. And like... They gave out Shermie pins, and I, it was all for this guy. It was all just for this guy. It really was. And the Shermie, the Shermie pin made it, like, complete. <laughs> yeah. Like, now every, now every time I'm going to look at that Shermie pin, and I will remember this moment in time. Yeah, it was, like, physical proof of that announcement. Yes. Like, that was perfect. Now we will all together, and again, I'm glad we experienced this together as a group, we will all together 
look at that pin and say, I remember when Shermie was announced for SK Heroines. Yes, I know, I know. Um, but other than that, that panel was actually, it was a decent panel. The only thing is that I was a little bit disappointed. Only, frankly, like, I wanted more, like, history history, which, uh, shout out to Abe-san, who is basically the SNK veteran that they had uh, at the panel. Yeah. He basically just went off the cuff and started, like, spitballing. But because he was Japanese and had to, like, have everything translated, everything was a lot slower than is if, like, we spoke his language and he would just be up there like, oh, yeah, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This is how we used to do everything back in the day. Yeah. That would have been great, too. But, like, we didn't get to get a lot of... I wanted to get a little more of, like, the historical overview in there, but um, they didn't have time for that between the announcements and uh, just the fact they're talking about 40 years of history in an hour. It's hard. And Shermie. Yeah, but we still got some cool stories about what it was like working for, you know, uh, a game company back when game companies were the sizes that they were. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Uh, my favorite being that Avisan told... The group, everybody, a story about how apparently a fire broke out in the office, and the CEO tried to go yeah. put it out himself with some little ass fire extinguisher. Yeah, which is which is like a very Japanese story to me. <laughs> well, it's also like from his perspective, it's like, do you know how much money I spent on all this shit? Yeah, 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 true. That's that's like if your TV, if you paid like ten thousand dollars for a TV and your place went on fire. There's going to be part of you that's going to be like, yo, man, a fire extinguisher out of the I'm putting this out my damn self. I know. Rescue me. Rescue this. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so yeah, we had 40 years of SNK. Um, I then went to, the next thing I went to was the FF15 panel. Mm-hmm. I was, me and Dingus went to this one. I was super hyped for this. Um, because they were talk, the panel was ostensibly about the mod tools, right? Which they did announce. So they went into some detail about the mod tools. Um, all of the details that I'm about to say are wide, much more widely reported because there was a lot that came out of this panel. But just to briefly say what was said, so they're going to have the full mod tools for the PC version, level editor and the online. Uh, you're going to be able to create your own weapon. Chocobo races, all this crazy stuff. You're good. They have a character creator for the Comrades multiplayer DLC, which they're going to put in the main game, so you can swap out Noctis, the main character for those that have never played this game. Uh, you can swap out Noctis for whoever kooky-ass character you can pick. They hilariously showed that uh, in that game they have the Crow's Nest Diner, which has a crow mascot, which you can swap out for Noctis. Um, and and then footage in and of itself but people are going to go berserk just with those tools and then they went on to be like oh by the way but we have content coming too so they're expanding the multiplayer DLC they said oh yeah, by the way we're putting raid bosses in I was like who was raid bosses in like some little side DLC but then they announced that they're spinning off that DLC into a full game and then they announced the four new episodes of uh, story content that are coming in 2019. So they just went completely balls out during this thing. And I was like, give me all of it. All of it. <laughs> yeah, I want it's, all of it. I, I'm impressed, really, because it's like, 
uh, it's so much content. I mean, going into, <laughs> I mean, the games, the game's going to be like three years old and they're still going to be releasing stuff. It's, it's crazy, but I think, and I guess this is where we can briefly say that I think that Square really took the lesson of 13 to heart, like really took it to heart. Um, because they said, all right, well, we lost a lot of people with 13. So we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that the core fan base is happy with 15. Even if it means we're developing this game for like another three years. Plus, I'm sure they said it's worth the investment uh, because now they have the knowledge. Because people from the staff have said already that doing the FF15 Windows Edition uh, taught them a lot that they can now leverage for the building of future games, right? Yeah. So all this stuff they're doing, I think, is also them kind of like laying the groundwork to be able to compete more readily in the future. You know what I mean? Because everything they're doing right now seems to be we're trying to make the Final Fantasy franchise like um, something that can be talked about in the same breath as, you know, the Skyrims and the Witchers and whatever of the world. Which, you know, if you think about it like that, then yeah, they had a pretty steep hill to climb. Mm-hmm. But they're doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I And did. the last thing yeah, I went to was the Nintendo Wear, which is another great game show. Um, you didn't get to come. No, I don't think you got to come with us to that. No, I didn't get to go this year, which I was upset about. Especially since they uh, had that excellent um, Rhythm Heaven Rhythm joke. Heaven question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they did. They did, as always, they did a great job with that panel. Oh yeah, and I should mention that um, they did the uh, FF15 concert with Video Game Orchestra. Shout out to those guys; they're amazing, and that show was amazing as predicted. Uh, now it's how I capped off the night. But uh, what did you do that was, you know, that I didn't mention already? So I did the SNK booth with you, and then the rest of the day was pretty much uh, taking notes on the on the indie showcase. Um, the indie mega booth is about two thirds of the entire show floor. So on Thursday, I did a lot of the bigger stuff. I did, um, you know, the Xbox and PS4, and I did Dauntless. And then uh, after that, I pretty much I had one other panel that I wanted to go to, but I was uh, I was doing all indie stuff. So I did. Um, I checked out. Uh, a couple of indie games. I checked out this game called Black Future '88, which is this cool, like 2D, like cyberpunk shooter. Uh, there's um, a game called Lightfall, which is coming out for the Switch and for PC that I played. Uh, a game called Tiny Metal, which is also Switch and PC. Um, I did a game called Descenders, which is going to be, which is actually being showcased on an Xbox Dev Kit, um, and as well as uh, Ashen. Um, yeah, Ashen and Descenders were, were both there. And then a game called Below, which is also going to be an Xbox indie exclusive. And they all had all these oh, Xbox yeah, dev kits, Cappy. which basically looked like – they looked like VCRs essentially. And they um, they had them set up. And all three of those games I thought were really, really cool. Played the Church in the Darkness, which is this really interesting stealth game but like with a much creepier like uh, undertone because it's about you trying to rescue uh, somebody from a – like 1970s era, like Jim Jones-esque cult. Oh. Um, So that was really cool. And then I saw this game called Due Process, which is... Funny, I just watched a trailer for that before we started recording. So what I got, I didn't get to play it because the line was already long on Friday, but 
due process is essentially like payday if payday were uh, – if all the payday levels lasted three minutes long. Um, it was basically – It's a good way to put it. It was basically like a team of people um, have a place already cased for them. You outfit yourself with all the things that you need to like disarm a bomb or whatever and you – have a you have a person who is basically in charge of planning and can draw over the map that everybody sees um doing this like command role kind of and they're like you know this is where you reach the door this is you know this is uh who you can expect on the other side in terms of resistance shoot them this is where the bomb is we need this person to be doing this while these people guard these doors whatever whatever so it's 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 like payday in that it's uh really dependent on teamwork and communication but it's got this like super fast paced like twitch shooter aspect to it too, and it's not just uh, well, let's do the best we can until people see us, and then try to ward off the police until we're done. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely seems like an interesting take on that kind of um, well, it was like that game SWAT that came out on Steam sometime before. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, yeah, I think Payday is actually an even better description. Yeah, and then uh, the last one I, I played that I want to talk about was called Frostpunk. It's from uh, 11-Bit, which is the same developer that did This War of Mine a couple years ago. Ah. And, and uh, it's like a incredibly bleak um, like society management game where basically we're in this ice age and everything's frozen over and... Uh, there are these generators that serve as hubs for towns that you have to build around. So you basically start off with a generator and like 80 people and you have to go out and mine coal during the day when it's when it's on the warmer side but it's still far below freezing and then you have to develop uh, medical tents and shelters and stuff. And, it, and it's basically just like the darkest survival game ever but with a lot of the same trappings as like a civilization game. Uh, but it's all from what I could tell. It's it's all one player, so it's just you trying to make it to the point where you have a thriving community in this bleak, frozen hellscape. And this developer has a very interesting uh, chip on their shoulder, don't they? They they are they are they are definitely like the most goth game developer for sure. <laughs> yeah, they they definitely were like, yes, the world is cold and dead. Yeah, and they're, so they're like, yeah, they're they're just uh, they're just very stereotypical, like uh, like like just cold Eastern European game developers. They're they're just like uh, they're just like we'll show you what real misery is. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't know about real misery, okay? We we will educate you. Yeah, it's uh, but it, but it was so much fun. I mean, once I once I you know. It has excellent sound design with all like the snow and the wind. Like I really felt like I was cold. Like I really felt like I was there playing, like trying to figure out how to reduce like the despair gauge and the, and increase the hope, the hope gauge. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's like Snowpiercer, the video game. Like it's very, but it, but it had like a really, really deep like politics tree where you have to decide whether you want to enact like child labor laws or whether or not you want to enact like uh, whether you want to 
take care of your dead by uh, setting up the resources to build a proper graveyard or to just dig a pit someplace. Um, and, and all of these decisions have effects on the overall morale of the colony and everything. So uh, I, I was impressed with how deep it was. I mean, this is the stuff that's usually reserved for the 4X genre, but it was just right. focused on survival. So it's like if a survival horror game were uh, like the feel of a survival horror game, single player survival horror game, were superimposed onto, say, like Civ Six. Wow. Yeah, so I'm, that's an interesting concept. Yeah, and it's coming out later this month, and I'm actually really looking forward to that. I have it on my wish list already on Steam, and that was what I did Friday. Not bad. Oh, I should also add. How could I forget? I also participated in my first PAX tournament uh, for Mario Kart Double Dash. Yeah, uh, and I did lose. Nice. Uh, but you know, it was a good race I had while I, while I was still in it, um, and unfortunately, they did. I hope they do it next year and do a solo tournament because they did a co-op tournament. So you had to play in teams, which I was like, Oh fuck. Like nobody does that. Yeah. So, um, but I did team up with a, a nice other guy who also was like, yeah, I'm just trying to, you know, um, get a spot in this thing too. So yeah, we had a good time. It was fun. And, and everybody there was cool. And I was glad to at least do it and kind of be part of, you know, a little mini hype moment. Uh, meanwhile, shout out to Dingus who took second place in, the uh, the pack's second seven turning. Yeah, I mean this is this is hardly an FGC major by any stretch of the imagination, but still. Yeah. Um, he he put the work in and he uh, you know knocked some heads around for sure, and it was really fun for us to watch because the rest of us were there for uh, most of it actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. So um, so yeah, that was our Friday. Saturday. Saturday. So Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. So. The first thing I went to 10.30 in the morning was Beyond the D20. Um, so now to touch on the fact that finally, in at least some form, I think you were more successful at this than me, but in some form this this year, we finally achieved the goal of doing more of the tabletop side of PAX East. Yeah. Um, you in particular with what you'll discuss, what you did on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But I, I started off at the Beyond the D20 panel. Um I would say, for those listening, the reason why I call Snacks' venture more successful than mine, he got to play a lot more tabletop games. I got a lot of intel. Yeah. So be, being at this Beyond the D20 panel was a lot of intel. I'm not going to go into everything they talked about, but essentially they were saying, well, you know, everybody here is tabletop role-playing and immediately thinks Dungeons & Dragons for very good reason. Mm-hmm. But there are a billion other games uh, that kind of have a different spin on the role-playing formula. And they went through a bunch of very interesting-sounding games. I took pictures of all the slides, and I definitely want to do some further investigation on at least a couple of the games that were mentioned um, for hopefully stuff that we can potentially do as a group. Uh, so stay tuned, and we'll see if we have adventures of that. Who knows? Maybe we'll even spin it off into another podcast. What the hell? We'll see. Uh but next thing I got to go to, I did catch a little of the Sonic Adventure Battle uh, tournament. Um, I, for- I forgot there was even multiplayer in Sonic Adventure 2. <laughs> but but there was, and good thing I didn't enter that shit because people knew, like, basically there was like at least one speedrunner um, competing. 
So they knew all the glitches and all the and all the weird shit. And of course, being an, an early era Sonic 3D game, there are plenty of glitches to, to exploit. <laughs> but seeing that tournament was pretty fun. It was a nice trip uh, back down memory lane. Uh, the next thing I went to was I attended Waypoints live at PAX East panel. Um, nothing particularly crazy to report there, but for anybody out there that listens to the Waypoint crew, um, they were engaging and smart as always. Uh, and and we they basically just chopped it up for an hour. So that was just like a fun diversion. I also went to Fighting Games, How to Get Good, <laughs> which is a panel hosted by a number of FGC personalities, mainly from Marvel, but, you know, from a couple of different corners. Mm-hmm. And it was just, they just kind of went down. Nothing, and to be honest, that I didn't really already know, um, given who I've had in my corner as a coach. Uh, but stuff that I'm glad to hear them say, you know, to a broader audience and, and talk about. Uh, and there was a lot of good insight, you know, on, on focusing on the long road to being a good FTC player, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then the thing that we, the other panel now that all of us went to, the, the other Avengers crossover panel. Yes. Um, the Polygon Show Live. Oh my God. Shouts out, major shout out to the ladies of Polygon. What a highlight. Major stuff. What a highlight. I knew it was going to be a highlight because I listen to their podcast all the time. That's why I'm so glad that everybody agreed to go because I already know what they get into. Yeah. But I didn't, even I did not expect it to be as wild as it was. Yeah. They essentially did a like fanfic bracket where they, yes. they picked a bunch of random characters and they kind of faced off on whether or not you would be into reading the fan fiction of that character uh, until it was down to one power couple. Um, I won't spoil it, uh, because... Yeah, because you need to just go watch Devon. I'm sure they're going to put up on their YouTube page or whatever. Yeah. Or, or definitely, at least the audio will be up in, in the feed for, mm-hmm. uh, in their, in their iTunes feed or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but I will just say, one, it's hilarious. And, uh, two, or pretty early on in the episode, you, you might get to hear yours truly scream out the phrase, ditto fucks. Um, mm-hmm. referring to the Pokemon. So hopefully that comes through loud and clear, but they definitely at least stop to talk about that, uh, that proclamation, uh, because it's relevant <laughs> and important and true. Indeed. Indeed. And, and you did, you truly did your country a service that day. Thank you. <laughs> That's my, uh, my country of Kanto. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and the final thing I did was we went to dinner and I came back and it's actually sneak this in there too. There was the super secret Mario Kart panel that night. Yeah. Which told me about that. Which was, which was literally, uh, a bunch of enforcers decided we're going to hook up a switch to the projector in one of the theaters and play Mario Kart and cycle people in and out. And this, we're going to come back to this point too, but this is where I really started to think a lot about like the enforcers role during this show. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because for example, one of the enforcers there kind of like hosting the whole thing, like two of them were basically doing live commentary on every match. Yeah. Uh, and one of them said that she was a teacher and was of course cracking jokes about how, you know, telling people to take their turn is what she does all day. Uh, but that really made me start thinking about the role of enforcers during the show and how one, that very thing she said is true. 
you know, she has to go around and tell people to take their turn and, you know, kind of keep the peace. But just the fact that people have to bring their life talents to leverage onto this community. Yeah. And that was just a very fascinating thing for me to think about. So shout out to all the enforcers for sure. Yeah. Uh, and shout out to those that put on that Mario Kart panel. I would have stayed there 100% because uh, it was hype. But I was on my way to the Saturday night concerts uh, featuring my boys, Super Soul Bros, in, in addition to Power Glove. Um, and shout out to the other band whose name I forgot the name of. But um, everybody rocked the house for sure. It was a great time. But that was my Saturday. So, what? Tell us, tell us about your tabletop adventure. Yeah. So, I, if, if if any of you know us personally, we're the one thing that we differ in, if, in in that we uh, the way that we pursue our interests is Frog can be a little bit like uh, studious, um, whereas I'm just like sign me the fuck up, whatever it is. Like I'm just gonna do it a hundred percent right off the bat. Like I'm like zero to sixty. Um, right. frog takes a little bit more calculated of an approach. So what I did instead of, uh, attend the beyond the D 20 panel was just sign up for a tournament. And it was, uh, a tur- it's a game that I've played before. Uh, I played the scythe tournament. Um, I made it to the second round and I actually got third overall, which is really cool. But, um, the coolest thing about that was playing with people who like really knew what they were doing, which is, I mean, the fun part about joining a tournament of, of any game that you play, whether it's a tabletop game or, or a traditional video game. And, uh, the types of people, you know, everybody is cool. And I, one of the things that I really, really, really took away from, from the tabletop, uh, experience that I had, cause I played a lot of tabletop this year, which was kind of our, 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 one of our main objectives. And we did get some done. Uh, I got a lot more than, than frog, but even still like you made a lot more like of a personal connection playing board games because you have to like sit across from the table with somebody and like look at them in the eye and like figure out what's going on and talk to them. Um, so I, I definitely had much more like conversation than I normally do during packs. And I think a lot of it has to do with tabletop. I played with a lot of like, you know, some kids my age and then some, you know, definitely some like way older people who were, you know, some like old school Gen Con types, uh, which was super cool. Like you could tell, like this was not their first rodeo. And, uh, so that was fun, man. And, uh, so I did that. That actually ended early because everybody knew what they were doing so well that the tournament like sped by. Everybody was just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, these are my moves. I'm going to win. Get it the hell out of here. Um, right. So I actually had enough time to go to the the panel that I wanted to go to later on. I didn't get to do uh, the less, let's fight over the best Pokemon because I got a spot on the tournament, which right. I was bummed about. But uh, the Pokemon cast, you can you can just watch that episode live and we can figure out uh, once it's published, what the best Pokemon is. Uh, but I did get to go to the Wisdom Tree uh, Bad Unlicensed Christian NES Games panel uh, by Gabe Durham, which is the guy who started Boss Fight Books. And, uh, you know, huge shout out to him. Like, he really did his research and he's he really proved, like, how even though you, video games are a universal thing, like, if you come from a certain background or if you come from, like, a certain type of family or community, you can end up playing different types of games. In his in his experience, he grew up as um, you know in a Christian household in the South, and he got his hands on these weird, unlicensed Christian NES games that were used off of like the the Tengen hack for for like breaking the the block that was built into the all the NES cartridges, and 
he went over a bunch of these games where, you know, they they were basically either, you know, uh, take a game that already existed, kind of like reskin it with biblical characters, just like inject Bible into it and hopefully, you know, s- scared house moms of the 80s and 90s will buy it. And then, right. uh, and then kind of like went down the line and was like, you know, people are a little bit more, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, keen to that type of stuff now. Um, you, you can't really get away with it anymore. And especially like, and part of it is because if you wanted to, you could just go do that legally. And it's like, not like this, uh, like alternative rather it's, it's part of a, a niche market, but he said what a lot of people do now who, whose work is influenced by their faith, it shows up in much more subtle ways and in less like, um, you know, kind of like reskin ways. Yeah. Like, like grimy, like money grabbing type of ways. Um, right. he specifically shouted out, uh, that dragon cancer, which, right. you know, uses, uh, which, which was done by a developer who, you know, whose, uh, you know, brush with tragedy was, was, you know, influenced by like the way he dealt with it was influenced by his faith. And he put that into the, into the game in more like human subtle ways rather than like overt, like, let me teach you a lesson type of ways. Um, right. so, you know, he said like, if you know what to look for, there's still stuff like this out there, but, in, but done like, you know, like way better and way less offensive, um, type of types of ways. So that was really cool. And I actually got to, to speak with him, uh, later on, talked with him about his project boss fight books. Cause I, I, I bought two of the books, uh, in that project and I, I suggest anybody else, uh, do the same. So, uh, I did that. And then, uh, you know, later on did the polygon show and, and that was my Saturday. See, and I hopefully people are seeing this is a busy, busy, busy weekend. But we again, we had a lot of time to do most of the things that we wanted to. Uh, so let's just go over Sunday real quick. Yeah, real quick. So Sunday, first thing was for me one of the most important panels: uh, the forty tabletop games you must play, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely one of my highlights of the show. Uh, shout out to Rim and Scott of Geek Nights. Yeah, they. Uh, they really put on a, a good show. They clearly knew what they were doing when they went up there. Like they had a polished little act going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and they went over obviously 40 mostly really interesting tabletop. They, like they gave the disclaimer beforehand that they don't like all the games up there, but I was intrigued by nearly all of them. Yeah. Their breakdown was interesting. It was like, these aren't the 40 best games. These aren't the 40 games that are personal favorites. These aren't like, the 40 most important, they said that these are the 40 games where if you were to play all 40, you would have a fairly universal understanding of what tabletop games can and do do. Right. I thought and hell, was, even listening to them talk about them, yeah. I, I started to understand why they felt that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was a really interesting angle to go off of. And I actually went with Frog to this panel too. So uh, it was um, – I got a lot of my, you know, homework essentially for future tabletop adventure uh, adventures from this uh, panel that we went to. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to have now that I mentioned it. We really have to. Our next sit down talk has to be about parsing through some of these and figuring out next moves. But mm-hmm. um, then the only other thing, so I basically cut a lot of stuff out of my Sunday because I wanted to make some more time for tabletop and more time for show floor. Uh, so I guess now is a good time for it to talk about some of the stuff I saw on the floor over the course of the weekend. Yeah. Um, 
I played a game called Infectinator 3 Apocalypse, which was, as the name may suggest, basically you infect people, make zombies, and spread them uh, around to, you know, call, fuck shit up. Uh, uh, it's a pretty, pretty like a point-and-click game. Um, there's definitely an element of strategy to it. It was pretty fun. Uh, it's definitely something that I would keep an eye for. That's the kind of like, you know, slightly more casual but still fun type of thing I would play. Mm-hmm. Um, Uncle Paul's while running around the show with him, I ran in, we ran this game called Nippon Marathon, which is kind of hard to describe uh, other than to say that it's a little bit like the game Speedrunners. Uh, and for those that haven't played that, that's essentially like a game where you are, as the name suggests, it's a racing game, like a foot racing game. And this is too, but it is, I think, specifically themed like a Japanese game show. So it makes no sense whatsoever, but in a great way. Uh, so that was fun. We also, we got to play the game Dunk Lords, which is, for those of you that are like me and love like NBA Streets, basically that, but on crack. Because there's like superpowers and all sorts of and items you can equip and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, so I'm really excited. I don't know if it's out yet, but um, it will definitely be out this year, so I'm super excited to play that. Um, we also came across a game called Super Tony Land, which is essentially Mario Maker on crack and on Steam. W- what is there not to be excited about? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we played in a, a cool little indie game called Candleman, uh, it's a platformer. You're playing literally as a candle. And uh, a lot of the, the complexity of the game comes from you You can light your candle, but you only have two seconds, so you have to just like kind of flick it on, get your bearings and flick it off. So, you know, there's a lot of basically them managing what information you get to see. I didn't get to find out a lot about this game because I didn't get to play it, but there's a game called Pizza Titan Ultra that kind of looks like I don't even know how to describe it. It kind of looks like a little bit like a, um, it's like an arcade style game. Um, but any game that's called Pizza Titan Ultra, I mean, come on. <laughs> Plus there's a character that's explicitly styled after Bob Ross. Go mm. look it up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how or when Bob, uh, Bob Ross became like. The meme. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a meme. The meme. Yeah. But, like, uh, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm here for it, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm 1,000% here for it. I love Bob Ross. Shout out to Bob Ross. Yeah, for real. Uh, Sha- Shaq Fu was also on the floor. Yeah, right? Uh, which <laughs> The Shaq Fu reboot, which I cannot wait. Because for those who don't know, Shaq Fu was Shaquille O'Neal's licensed fighting game from the 90s that is only well-known today because of how god-awful it is. It, like it's so bad it boggles the imagination uh, but this group got together and said we're gonna do it for real and so they did an indieGogo campaign a couple years ago and somehow raised enough money to do this thing and they actually had a surprisingly large booth at PEX uh, where people could play the game and it's coming out this year finally so I'm ex- I love things like this like I love things that revisit the 90s, but in, like, an updated favorite form. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually really excited to play that. I'm trying to think of this. Anything. We played Sleep Tight, 
Sleep Tight, shout out to guys behind Sleep Tight, which is a base builder during one phase and a top-down shooter during another. Um, people can think about like Assault Android Cactus, another fantastic game. Yeah. Uh, but Sleep, Sleep Tight has a very explicitly Pixar aesthetic, which is because one of the guys used to work on at Pixar okay. uh, on a bunch of Pixar movies. Uh, so that game is another thing I think people should look out for. Um, trying to think if there's anything else huge that I played. Swords of Ditto, I had my eye on. Shout out to Devolver Digital, always pumping out great stuff. Oh, for real. Swords of Ditto is basically uh, like a Zelda-style roguelike RPG, uh, but with Adventure Time's aesthetic. Yeah, I did walk past the booth and and watch some people play it, but I didn't get my hands on it. Yeah, we didn't get to get our hands on it either because there were lines for that one, but uh, that actually comes out this month, so I'm super excited. And also, I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of the stuff at the show in general was not only slated for this year, but a lot of it was either already out or, like, coming out this month. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, heads-up game displays. Rising amount of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, hey, out now. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually we get things at the show that are, like, four years out and shit like that, but no, everything out there is we could feasibly see in our hands this year, which is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, and as you said... You, you casually mentioned before the indie mega booth was like two thirds of the floor. That was really true. Mm-hmm. Because when you is. left the indie, usually it's closer to like near half. Um, but it's been getting the point being that it's been get taking up more and more every year. Yeah, it is. Like, um, and there was not a lot of big stuff from the big guys. Nintendo was present, Sony was present, but even Sony's booth was almost entirely indie games. Same thing for Microsoft. Oh, by the way, you played Tiny Metal. I also played, at Microsoft's booth, I played Wargroove, which is, both games are essentially Advance Wars, but Wargroove, I think, is much more faithfully um, recreates the vibe. Sure. Because uh, it's like a pixel art game and everything. But anyway, yeah, all those... All those boots were almost entirely indie games, including Nintendo's, actually. Um, and the only, like, huge, huge third parties, uh, Bandai Namco was there. We got to play some SC6, Soul Calibur 6. Yeah. Which was, yeah, that, that's going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I was excited for it beforehand, but, like, it's, I feel like I'm finally excited again for Soul Calibur, and I, and I don't know why, but, like, I'm stoked. I think it's well. Remember, the last one five came out in 2012, so it's already been a long time. And in that time, there's been a sea change in not only fighting games but all of gaming, really, like the Twitch generation and everything. Yeah. And Namco is just coming off the most successful Tekken game ever, essentially. Um, so there's a lot. They're really trying to ride that momentum, and for good reason. Yeah. Uh, so I think there, there's a good chance for this to be like a really good title. I'm ho- I have a high hopes for that. Uh, ben and Echo showing some stuff. Square Enix was heavy at this show, mm-hmm. heavily promoting FF14 in addition to FF15's various additions and you know some other stuff. Um, who else big was there? Capcom was not there, which I was like, what? <laughs> Um, yeah, that was I strange, was, but I guess they weren't really promoting anything. I mean, but it's, it did, it did still feel strange with the success of Monster Hunter World that they didn't even like show up to say hello. 
yeah, show up and like promote Monster Hunter World more, but um, that's their decision. I guess they didn't feel like the expense was worth it. But like, instead of the big publishers, Discord had a humongous booth. Yep. Uh, Twitch had a very big booth. Oh yeah, Blizzard of course was there. Blizzard's madhouse of a booth was there. Yeah, as always. As always, but that was pretty much it as far as like big name third party publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else was like hardware manufacturers and all these random different people. So that was a show floor in a nutshell. That was all I decided to say. That was what I spent Sunday doing. In addition to getting a session of we played, I played Settlers of Catan for the first time ever. Yep. with you guys, which was uh, which was a fun experience, even if I realized <laughs> that Settlers of Catan is Frog's weakness is the game. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, maybe, I don't think so. I think you could get good at it. You played once. I played once, so I was like, uh, what? But yeah, we'll see. There'll be, there'll be more for that for sure. Um, and finally for a Friday, for a Sunday, I know I just spoke for like forever, but I just want to give a shout out to the final of our Avengers crossover whole group attended panels, which was, uh, everything you've ever wanted to know about ports probably. Yeah, we did do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So shout out to, uh, that dude, Ben, who ran that panel, uh, from his YouTube channel, Port Center. Um, and he was... <laughs> He had his very interesting, self-deprecating brand of humor that ran through the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but he did give a, a pretty nice history of of ports and kind of talk about the difference between a port and a remake and, and horse-sized ducks and duck-sized horses. And it was, it was a good panel. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was a fun little history lesson. And I think that was like uh, a, a, a stuff, something that I got a lot of at this year's PAX was history lessons what with like the boss fight books thing and then the port thing and, uh, the SNK history panel and all that stuff. Like it was a lot of like, uh, like, uh, like an appreciation and a, almost like an evangelization of the history as well. Um, but it, For sure. it does feel like, I think that, I think there's, uh, I think a fairly marked interest in the history of video games by gamers now, um, more than I had ever noticed before, and maybe it had always been there. But um, you know, they even had like Frank Cifaldi show up to the SNK uh, panel, who right. runs the um, the American Video Game or the National Video Game Museum down in Texas. I think he's like a big contributor to that. Um, Though I think he was more there for his hat as part of Digital Eclipse. But even Digital Eclipse, they've made their name as a studio on their slavish devotion to, uh, you know, faithfully recreating the games of yesteryear in packages that are ready for modern audiences. Yes. So like they've been fantastic on all that stuff. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of that stuff was really cool to see. Um, but yeah, uh, that was so. That's that's the rundown of the schedule. The games that caught our eye, the the, the goodness out of the panels that we saw. Um, so yeah, would do you want to do like uh, like closing thoughts? I know there's still like so much to say, but there's a couple more things we should talk about. So yeah. one, I forgot to mention the Omegathon. So the Omegathon, for those that don't know, is the mini tournament that they run every packs. They pick. If you, if you check a box when you buy your ticket, you'll be automatically entered into a lottery, and they'll pick a bunch of people 
and then you compete in four kooky events over the course of the weekend. The final of which I always attend because it's the very last thing on the official program for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always like to go because it is a great wrap up of the whole thing. Um, what what other, what better way to close out a gaming convention than with one last game, right? Uh, and not to mention PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo. I always feel that it's appropriate, being that this is their show, that I should show up to at least one thing that involves the Penny Arcade guys. Yeah. Um, and they're very funny. Shout out to both of them. They're very, they're always very funny. Um, and this year, they I wanted to give a particular shout out to this the Megathon because uh, they played harmonics drop mix which see i'd heard about before but seeing in motion i was like oh shit like i want drop mix now yeah uh for those that don't know about it really briefly i'll just say it's a card game where as you play you will make your own beats essentially your own mixes of songs that are associated with every card super super cool I can't even begin to imagine how much math and crazy algorithms go into this thing. Um, but it's really cool. I would encourage everybody to just check it out or at the very least check out like the Megathon final round VOD if you just want to see what it looks like in action. Um, but like I said, that's a great way to close the show. They always, you know, give their thank yous and we find out how much the cookie brigade, shout out to the cookie brigade, uh, fattening everybody up while making money for child's play. 24K, in fact. Oh over God. the course of the weekend. Yeah, right? That's awesome. Um, it's great. It's, it's just a great way to kind of say goodbye to the whole experience in a nice, you know, wrapped up package. Um, what I should talk to you about now is, though I have my, uh, we can talk a little bit about my potentially controversial opinion. Okay. So I realized that as, I love PAX to death. I do. But I have to say, as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? MAGFest has become my favorite con. Really? Really. And what gives that the edge in my head is that as much as I love PAX, and I still would tell people, if you can pick one event to go to, like if you're like a gamer or whatever, and you have to pick one event to go to, it is 1,000% packs, zero question in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a, there's still like, as big as MacBus has gotten, it has still has this small, scrappy community feel about it that makes it so interesting. It's like, it sounds so hipstery now, but I guess it's like the difference between like, your favorite underground artist and, like, your favorite mainstream artist. Sure. Like, everybody loves Michael Jackson. Nobody's going to sit here and say Michael Jackson is not one of the greatest of all time. But, you know, you might listen to some little singer that only has a couple follow, couple thousand followers on Twitter or whatever, and they may be your actual, like, favorite because they have, like, this earthy feel or whatever about them, right? Yeah, I can... It's I that mean, kind I can, of thing. I can appreciate that. Um, I still have yet to go to... Magfest, um, but that interests me because I uh, I probably am a hipster. So, <laughs> I think- well, let me put it, let me put it this way because the thi- the difference between we always joke that like Pax is like we make the pilgrimage, right? Yeah. Um, and and that joke has a certain the reason that is a good joke is because there's some truth in that, right? Mm-hmm. This is a thing where 
again, if you are of a certain day, you would be remiss to not go to this at least a couple of times. Yeah. You're, you're, you would be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're a car buff and never go to the, the New York auto show. Right. What are you doing? Right. Right. Backfest, on the other hand, is literally a party. It's a three and a half day long party. I, the way I want to describe it to people is like when people come to my house to play video games and hang out times 20,000 people. That's it. Okay. And all the crazy shit that that entails. Oh, and, uh, and also the other thing that makes it unique is that it is where the band geeks meet the gaming geeks. Mm. So chew on that one. But uh, that was my, my controversial opinion. That said, like, I, again, no disrespect at all to Penny Arcade Expo because I love this event to death. We had an amazing time this year. You know for damn sure I'll be back next year. This is top priority every year to make sure I'm there because there's always, as we just outlined, so many new things to see, uh, so many history lessons to learn, so many interesting people to learn and talk, learn from and talk to. Um, the list goes on and on. And did you? I, I, before we go, I also wanted to have a brief conversation with you about um, what you were telling me just before we started recording. Yeah, so I, the we shout them out almost every year, but one of the things that really makes PAX as a show move so smoothly, uh, besides un, un, like probably an unfathomable amount of planning, but the execution is really kind of smoothed out by a team of volunteers uh, that are, are known as the Enforcers, which is a much more imposing like name than is due. I mean, they're, they're really just... Um, it's purposefully ironic, I think. Perhaps. Uh, but I had not up until this year dis- uh, thought like what it would actually be like to be an enforcer. And after I had bought the tickets for this year, I was like, you know what, maybe I should be an enforcer. And so I actually got a chance to talk to uh, an enforcer and ask them, you know, how scheduling works, how much of their time at the show is spent uh, doing the whole volunteer thing um, and everything. And uh, I think that I owe it to PAX to do, to be an enforcer for at least one year, to do one year as an enforcer. I can I can really only describe my feeling to do so as like as like giving back uh, because I do the thing every year and yeah I give them my money to go to this thing but it's like I would it's it's tough to kind of imagine my uh, life as a devout gamer without mm-hmm. packs in it now right and. I almost feel like I should just do it for a year um, just to just to kind of like volunteer my time, you know, like I it's it's like my, uh, you know, like like the, the the least I can do, so to speak. I don't know. I, I have this this compulsion to do so. But I think next year I I if I still feel this way in a couple of months when tickets for next year go on sale. I might just say to myself, you know what, let me, um, let me, let me do it this year. Let me, let me volunteer some of my time at the show to making it run smoothly for everybody who enjoys it as much as I do. 
Yeah, I mean, community uh, response is part of what makes a show work, too. Much more so, again, at MacFest, where it's an entirely community-driven thing. But, yeah, this show definitely, the enforcers are amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, just the fact that they do things like line entertainment, like shows that shows so much attention to detail on the part of the show planners, but also to them personally for, you know, putting themselves out there and, and you know, doing stuff like that. So, and it's always appreciated. I think most people that go to do always appreciate the fact that the enforcers are actually like some of the best part of the show, which, you know, they're always there to help you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I might be in a little bit over my head if I do go through with it, but I still feel like I should, I should try it out, um, once. Well, yeah, you certainly will get no, uh, blowback from me for, <laughs> should you decide to do so. And, you know, we, hopefully you'll still have plenty of time, especially if it's four day remains four days. Uh, you'll hopefully still have plenty of time to, uh, do all the other fun stuff with us, you know? Yeah, and and I was you know, and and I was reassured a little bit by the people I spoke with who were doing it that they in fact do get plenty of time to themselves, especially since, especially considering how long the show runs, um, right? You do get enough time to yourself where you're not just doing this one thing the whole time. So, so that's that. Um, that's all we got for uh, for our PAX debrief, I think. Um, keep an eye out for all of the games that we listed for all of the, uh, episodes of other podcasts and shows that, that we, uh, got to be a part of during PAX and, um, and yeah, that's it. Any last thoughts before we sign off? No, just like I said, uh, as we say every year, if you are a devout gamer, as you so eloquently put it, uh, you owe it to yourself to make the trip at least once. And I think if you make the trip once, you're going to start thinking about how that wallet's going to be arranged so you can come back. Yeah, for sure. The same thing happened to me and, and obviously frog too. So, um, go to PAX, go to PAX, go to PAX. Uh, there are three in the continental United States right now. So your uh, excuses are holding less and less weight every year. Um, but, uh, but that's all the time that we have for this week. Uh, check us out on the internet. We are on Twitter at Frogsnacks, on Instagram at Frogsnacks Podcast, where I posted a few pictures of the show. And we are on Apple Podcasts, where you can rate, review, subscribe to the show. We've also got our website, frogsnacks.net, where we've got all of our episodes for download as well uh, to create a, a, a digital imprint of us forever in your computer, which we would appreciate. <laughs> so uh, that's it. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope you had a good time at PAX if you got to go. Peace. Peace out.